0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis, I'm Gil Gross, it is another packed show with the next gen ATP Finals in the rear view and the ATP Finals already underway, messing up the uh, Monday Match Analysis schedule by starting on Sunday, but that's okay, I'm going to talk about the two matches that went down today, Nadal versus Taylor Fritz, Kasparud versus Felix Oje Ali talk about those matches and then get into the preview. I'll uh, I'll I'll give you my transparency. I'll tell you what I felt going in, and maybe how those matches could have altered how I think this tournament is going to go in terms of, or as far as my predictions are concerned. I'm gonna go player by player and tell you what I think they will do in this uh, in this group stage match by match. Um, but first, I do want to start with the next general finals. I'm only gonna talk about the final. For a, for a little while, I, I wanted to go player by player, give report cards. Maybe I'll still do that. Uh, that could be off-season content just to go through every player who played in the next-gen finals. Uh, but I did not have the time. So I'm going to dive into this final. Yuri Lahechka versus Brandon Nakashima. And in terms of your, like, you know, if you want me to kind of dig into uh, your Mateo Arnaldis of the world... That will have to wait for another time. Maybe I'll do it the week after the season ends, after Davis Cup. Because uh, I do want to do that. Nakashima versus Lahechka, though, was the final. And this is the kind of match that, historically, we should pay attention to. If you look at everyone who's won the next-gen finals, Hyun Chung, Stefano Tsitsipas, Yannick Sinner, Carlos Alcaraz. Pretty great list. If you look at everyone who's made the final... Andre Rublev made the final in 17, Alex de Minaur made the final 18 and 19, Sebastian Corda made the final last year. Everyone who's made the final has made the top 30. It's pretty darn good. So, um look, I've been a I've been saying this for years. This is a a really great initiative by the ATP. WTA should do it as well. I know they had it in the past and it is no longer. They should bring it back as soon as they get their you know what together when it comes to the actual ...tour championships on, uh, in the WTA Tour. So, uh, this was a match, nakashima Lehechka. Very easy to analyze. The same exact thing happened all three sets. Pretty clear that under pressure, when the chips were down... ...when the scoreboard was tight at the end of sets... ...the Lehechka forehand would tighten up and spray... And there were just no gifts from Nakashima. He was so solid, um, extremely steady, not a hint of nerves in his performance. And for Lahetchka, you just couldn't say that. So without the scoreboard pressure, it was a different story. In fact, I would argue Lahechka was maybe the slightly better player. He was hitting bigger. He was by far the player in the most control offensively, but he couldn't really make returns of serve. So it didn't translate to breaks because he just wasn't making enough returns in play. Nakashima serve, super, super underrated at this point. He uh, he just hits his spots, and it also spins a lot. So I I think sometimes the radar gun is a little bit deceptive. You look at the Nakashima serve, sometimes you see it around 120 miles per hour, maybe a little bit more. You think, okay, that's not really a bomb of a serve, but uh, I think there's a lot of action on his serve, um, and it's very heavy. For returners. A lot for returners to handle. And the accuracy is incredible. So uh, 63% unreturned serves for Nakashima. That made it difficult for Lahechka to break. I thought, again, the baseline dynamics with Lahechka's easy power. I felt he was the better player in, in from neutral. Uh, because Nakashima, especially on the forehand side. Uh, I just didn't think he was doing enough with the ball. And oftentimes he was allowing himself to get attacked. Um... Lahetchka served for the first set, got broken, set points in the second, lost it. So he just wasn't closing the deal. And it's not all that surprising. You know, this was Nakashima's fourth tour-level final. So he had been there before. Already, he's the kind of guy with this really icy, cool head on his shoulders, uh, incredible temperament. One of the most impressive things about Brandon Nakashima. And he was just, he, you know, he played a very, very professional match. And Lahechka just looked young and nervous. So that was kind of that. Nakashima ended the event 7-1 and one in tie breaks, which tells you a little bit more about just how collected and cool he is in the, in the high-pressure moments. I thought Nakashima's short chip was very, very big in the first set tie break. He used it about, you know, three times. Again, Lahechka's baseline power was taking over these rallies. On a very regular basis, especially in the first set. Uh, he was just blowing Nakashima off the court, oftentimes, off the ground. Um, so Nakashima problem solved in the first set. I really liked the short chip to kind of draw Lahechka forward against his will. Won him a couple of t- key points in the first set tie break. And um, yeah, I, I think that's all that really needs to be said about the match. Is that under pressure, Yuri just started missing. And and Nakashima wasn't. I know it's simplified. I know it's base. You know, very basic. But that's how the match went. Very very clear. Lahetchka in general. I think a lot of the times you can get very lazy comparing younger players to their older countrymen, older compatriots. But I actually think Lahetchka to Burdich is very very apt. You know, here you have a guy who's got unusually breezy power and very clean technique off of both wings—forehand, backhand. You're not safe. The technique is beautiful. The ball just kind of explodes off the racket. Goes, you know, it, it goes a lot faster than almost what it looks like it should. You have like a very robotic kind of approach to the game, and in the movement, it's very mechanical, not very fluid or loose. Um, but you know, again. It's not really a bad thing. It's not a good thing, but it's just kind of how it is with him. And then you have that physique where his quads are absolutely enormous. It looks like 80% of his body weight is legs. So I really do see a lot of Burdich in Yuri Lehechka. Uh Nakashima, I think by now, you, you probably know his game pretty well. Uh, he's He came into it 49 in the world, 21 years old. I don't know what he is now, now that he won the title, but... He's on a tremendous trajectory. I love his backhand. I love his serve. He's a really good volleyer. He's a competent mover. The forehand is the question for Brandon Nakashima. Plain and simple. Is the forehand good enough? And uh, it gets rushed. It's just not a great forehand. That concerns me. Nothing else concerns me about Brandon Nakashima. Let's move on now to the ATP Finals. So you have two groups. You have a green group. You have a red group. You have Rafael Nadal, Ruud, Felix Oje, Aliassime, and Taylor Fritz in the green group. You have Stefano Tsitsipas, Daniil Medvedev, Andrei Rublev, and Novak Djokovic in the red group. The red group is better. I'll leave it at that. Uh, the green group played two matches here on Sunday. The first one was FAA versus Ruud. And Rude won. The second one was Nadal versus Fritz. Fritz won. I want to do a quick overview of those matches before I get into this preview. First, positives with Casper, who I don't think a lot of people would have picked to win this match. Myself included. His movement looked particularly explosive here. It looked like someone who was well rested, chomping at the bit, tons of energy, lots of spring in the legs. Rude was really uh, his footwork was ferocious. Um, he he was able to do uh, some great road work in this match. I just thought he was flying around the court. He served really great, and uh, there was some good block returning. Couldn't really get a handle on Felix's first serve. FAA won like 84% of his first serve points in this match. Uh, But those were the things that stood out uh, for me, for Rude. Felix, on the other hand, looked a little sick, blowing his nose a lot. And it was an awful backhand day for Felix. And that was the big problem here. You know, Rude was trading his backhand well. Felix was not. Lots of neutral backhands wide by FAA. You shouldn't hit neutral backhands wide. When you're attacking, you can miss wide. It happens. You're going for the sideline, you're trying to get some extra width. I get it. When you're trading, you shouldn't really miss wide. In the net, sure. Long, definitely. Not wide. Um, And Felix just kept missing wide. It's the kind of, we've talked about his targets in the past and his margins. And that was a little bit haywire. Backhand unforced errors at one point in the second set were 10-3. Felix 10, Rude 3. And when FAA had to defend on the backhand, he just couldn't get out of jail. And that's what Rude does. He puts you in that backhand jail. He hits those inside out forehands. Eventually, he can pull it inside in with the best of them. And Felix, just defending on that backhand, he he could not get back to neutral for the life of him. However, uh, in the second set, we had our only break of serve. And it wasn't the backhand that really got Felix's serve broken. It was the forehand. Mind you, it's hard to make Felix hit backhands when... He's serving when he's serving. He's going to get to hit a lot of forehands. That's just how it works. Three all second set. Felix made three forehand on four stairs, hit a double fault. That was that. There were definitely some impatient decisions creeping in for Felix. Again, maybe he wasn't feeling well. Wasn't really didn't really want to play long rallies. Maybe he's still feeling the effects of all the tennis he's played in the last month. But there were some really questionable forehands down the line, you know, balls that just really can't go down the line because you're usually going to miss it um, in from really difficult positions. And I mentioned those backhands and the margin that he was hitting on the backhand. So just lots of unforced errors in this match. And Rouge served well, and FAA just didn't have the defense to really come back in points. So... It was a solid one for Rude. Fritz Nadal. So third straight loss for Nadal. And I'm sure there's like a lot of alarm bells ringing. You know, Nadal loses another. He loses the second set, 6-1. Shades of how we lost the final set to Tommy Paul, 6-love. Uh, he did not play a good final set against Francis Tiafo at the U.S. Open either. Here is another righty backhand. Flat, super hard, very precise, takes it early on the rise. Here we go again. And Nadal, just on these low bouncing courts, he's shown to have a lot of trouble defending his forehand. And it certainly happened again here. Uh, I actually, before I kind of get into my observations, I just want to share with you what what Taylor said and what Rafa said because for some reason they were both really willing to get into the tactics here uh, to, uh, to an extent that most players don't. Uh, but here's what Taylor said. He said, the court is definitely fast. For me, fast is good for my serve and it's good for my backhand. I feel like different speeds always have uh, parts that help my game and parts that hurt my game. On a slower court, I have much more time to load up on my forehand. But on a court like this, I can lean on my backhand and hit it deep cross to Rafa's forehand. And it makes it a bit tougher for him to step in and crush it. On a slower surface, he gets he gets time on the forehand. And then when I go backhand cross, it's probably done for me. So I'd say that's where it helps me the most on the ground against him. So let me pause there. I'll tell you what Rafa said, but but I have to pause there. Because this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the cross court backhand into Nadal's forehand and Nadal's ability to take that shot, to take that forehand and change direction down the line. That's what Taylor's talking about. He's basically saying on a slow surface, I go cross and Rafa is able to take his forehand down the line and... All of a sudden, I'm defending, I'm running, I'm being pushed back. But on a court this quick, Nadal's not able to step in and crush it. He's basically going back cross-court. And, you know, I'm looking for opportunities to run around and rip forehands. Or I'm getting another backhand, but I'm not running. I'm not moving. Rafa went 70% to the ad side with his forehand. That tells you that he went about 70% forehands cross court. Unfortunately, you know, some of that data would be skewed when he goes inside in. But basically the way I look at it is about 70% of his forehands went cross court. Which is a really high number. Fritz hit 70% of his backhands cross court. So, you have this clear pattern that that both players are kind of engaging in and Fritz is coming out on top because he's the one doing the damage in that pattern. So, Again, Nadal's forehand defense, it's spinny, it's angled, it's short. It doesn't help you on a low bouncing court. It just sits there, it's attackable. And Rafa's just getting hurt because he's not able to take the ball down the line when the ball's bouncing low and coming quick uh, because he's rushed. He just doesn't have time to do it. And he's going back cross court and getting attacked. ...by these great backhands. That's what's been happening. It happened again. Uh, Francis did it. Tommy Paul did it. Taylor Fritz did it. Let me tell you what Nadal said. It's about time. Tennis and the sport in general, it's about time. I have less time than him to do what I want to do with the ball. I felt that everything was going so fast. When that happens, normally you are under stress... ...and you don't have time to play the kind of shot that you want... It's most of the points of the match. I was in a defensive position, and he was in an offensive position. That's what happened. That's something that was difficult to avoid for me because you need to be quicker on your legs, quicker in your mind. It's something that even if you work, you need to win matches to make that happen. Um. Okay, he goes on. He says some other stuff, but I don't think it is uh, pertinent. Oh, let me read the end of it, though. He said, I was not able to handle his power. It's obvious that on this kind of surface, you need to play very well. You don't have time to think for a tactic because you can't have a tactic in terms of going back, playing a different way. There is no time. The things are going so quick. Serving like Fritz served, uh, then you were under pressure all the time. So uh, hold that thought because I'm going to start with the green group and I'm going to start with Rafa because I'm going to go in order of seeds. And talk about where I see the rest of this ATP finals going. This Monday Match Analysis ATP finals preview is brought to you by BetUS. For this year's year end championships, play with America's favorite sports book. With the link in the description, get $125 extra on your first deposit. That's the promo code GilGross at BetUS. Link in the description for $125 extra on your first deposit. Let's start with the green group. Rafa Nadal is the top seed. And I get that there's a lot of alarm right now. He's lost three in a row. First time since 2009 that happened. Uh, That was, by the way, uh, that was the... Paris-Bercy into the ATP Finals. That part of the season. This part of the season. Which isn't surprising. He did not generate a breakpoint versus Taylor Fritz. Last time that happened, first round robin match, ATP Finals against Alexander Zverev. So there's all these parallels. He hasn't played well since Wimbledon. He doesn't have a very good history at the event. All signs point to right Nadal off. He's got no chance. All signs point to that. I'm not there. I'm not there. I I I just feel like Taylor Fritz in his group is the worst matchup and the first match, you know, he's only played one match since the US Open. So you would think, I think it's reasonable to expect that he will be better in his next match and even better in the match after that. So all of those things and I think he's got a shot. I think he can go 2-1 and one and make the semifinals. I think he can expose these weaker righty backhands and reverse these baseline patterns. I think his serve looks back to normal. And before I saw today's match, I want to be fully transparent. I had Nadal going 2-1, losing to Taylor Fritz, beating Rude and Felix. After watching today, in my heart of hearts... I don't think that's going to happen. I'm I'm almost there. I'm telling, I'm saying don't count Nadal out because that's how I feel. I, I'm i really, I think this is a tough call, but I, I do go with Felix. Uh, I think he beats Casper Rude. I think it's the most comfortable matchup there um, in terms of uh, just Nadal having a little bit more time in that head-to-head. With, you know, the way Rude plays a little bit further back, a little bit spinnier. And I think time is really what Nadal is going to be craving uh, in these conditions. Plus, it'll be his third match. And I think we'll get Nadal at his best. And I think he knows how to attack that rude backhand really, really well. The Felix match is the question. And I just think in altitude in Turin, plus Nadal's just general execution Issues that he's having right now on his forehand and his second serve. I just think Felix can serve Rafa off the court. And I think he'll be able to use his inside-out forehand at times in the same way that that Fritz uses his cross-court backhand. I think Felix can just kind of use his legs and go kind of flat inside-out and, and still kind of test the Nadal defense just enough. Uh, it's still been very difficult to get a piece of Felix's first serve even Casper, even though he beat FAA, he still couldn't really win uh, return points on FAA's first serve. So uh, I think I think FAA has a chance to just serve Rafa off the court, make him feel uncomfortable, uh, be in control offensively, uh, attack. Maybe I don't know because Nadal's second serve maybe just gets into the Felix backhand and then he's safe. But we'll see. Nadal might be might get attacked on his second serve. He's got to execute that a little bit better. And just by slightly, I give FAA the edge. So I have Nadal going one and two in this group. Kasparud, uh, he surprised everyone to make the semis last year. Uh, it does seem that he really enjoys proving everybody wrong. And he has experience at this event, which I like. What I don't like, obviously, two and four post-US Open, if you take away Davis Cup and Laver Cup, which I tend to. Two and four, not good. Um, and that's why the expectations were low, but now he's picked up a victory. And I think he beats Fritz. I think he beats Fritz, which I don't think a lot of people will actually be on board with. I think this is a contrarian pick. Brute is going to make Fritz defend more than Nadal was able to do that. Uh, So it's mostly just a movement and a mobility thing. I still think Rude could have an edge here. Because the serve plus one firepower. It's not as far apart as you think. I think he's got a little bit more shot tolerance as well. So I go with Rude. And I have Casper going two and one. Uh, Felix, he looked sick. That's concerning. If he has an energy crash, it would be understandable. Uh, He is a rookie here. I don't love that. I think sometimes it's pretty overwhelming to play your first ATP finals. But... I do think he beats Fritz. I don't think Taylor's going to fare well against that serve plus one at all. And he might be able to serve Nadal off the court, as I said, in this Turin altitude. Uh, look at who made the final last year. I found last year's year-end championships to be very serve-dominated. We had Medvedev versus Verev in the final. I think good first serving goes a long way. I think the ball traveling through the air very, very fast. I don't think the courts, so to speak, are lightning But I think like in the rallies, it doesn't look that quick to me, but I do think the serves with that high MPH, I think they're flying through the air very, very quickly in the altitude. So I have Felix going two and one. I have Fritz going one and two. Again, I, I just thought this was, a for Fritz, a very comfortable matchup against Nadal. I know he looked great. I know that this is against the grain, that the reaction to today is going to be, well, Fritz is easily a favorite to make the semifinals, and I totally understand that. But, again, I think Felix and Rude are going to make Taylor defend a lot more in these return games. And I I think Fritz is going to have some trouble breaking serve. Let's go to the red group. Uh, Tsitsipas is the top seed. He won it in 2019. He did not advance to the semifinals in the last two. Indoor hardcourt, he plays a lot better than he does on outdoor hardcourt because of the precision on his serve and his forehand and his ability to finish at net. I find the matchup with Medvedev to be fascinating because last time they played in Cincinnati... Pass's tactics, uh, his urgency to come forward, his transition play was absolutely dominant. And I actually think he can repeat that. I think he can do that again. On the flip side, Medvedev had a horrific serving day. He's That's probably not going to happen again, especially indoors. So that's so fascinating to me. I think Pass may have unlocked something tactically, but I don't think Medvedev is going to serve that poorly again. What do you do? I give the edge to Tsitsipas. I'm going to say Tsitsipas beats Medvedev here because I love the way he played him last time. And I think that aggression is going to pay a lot of dividends. Um, and all he's got to do, you know, is is make some return, some block returns in play, which I know Stefanos struggles with. But uh, I do think he, he does it a little bit better indoors. And... Um, if he can connect on some returns of serve, I definitely like him uh, to to be dominant on serve in that matchup yet again. So uh, I think his only loss is to Djokovic. I think he beats Rublev. I think he loses to Novak, who uh, just always does such a good job of picking him apart in baseline rallies by not, not necessarily always peppering the backhand, but just moving him to the backhand opening up the court by making him hit forehands on the run and then just changing direction so solidly uh, to to just direct the ball and put pressure on the backhand. Novak plays him so well. We've seen that, obviously, head-to-head 9-2. to Medvedev, I can't really figure him out, and that's not really a good thing because I keep thinking that he's about to go on a tear, and he keeps kind of not doing what I think he's going to do. He won Los Cabos. I thought that he would play great in Canada, play great in Cincinnati. Lost to Pass. Lost to Kyrgios. Lost to Kyrgios again at the US Open. Uh, looked good in Astana. Won Vienna. I thought here comes a huge Paris Masters. He loses to Alex Dimonor, who is a tough matchup for Daniil. Yes, he's quick. Speed can bother Medvedev. Uh, another really good net player. Yes, that's good against Medvedev. At the same time, Demon had never beaten a top-five player. Demon has had trouble pulling off victories of that magnitude. And Medvedev lost to him. So not a great loss. I think Medvedev is serving better. But he still looks a little bit limited offensively. The confidence on you know in his ground game seems to be a little bit fragile. A little bit fickle. But I do think he had a really good game plan against Djokovic in Astana. I think the way he was able to keep it to Novak's backhand and cover the drop shot um, and and try to make that physical. I think that could be a really good strategy in the group stage when Djokovic is trying to conserve energy, not empty the tank. He knows he's able to, to, to lose and kind of survive. And I think if Medvedev really empties it out to beat Novak and kind of finish that unfinished business, I think if they meet in the group stage, I'm going to give a win to Medvedev. I think he's by far Djokovic's toughest matchup in this group. Um, and I do have Medvedev also beating Rublev, so it's two and one for Medvedev. Djokovic, he's been dominant on first serve throughout this indoor hardcourt season. I think he's looked great in general. The Runa match, it felt like kind of that random off match. Not to take anything away from Holger, but I just don't think, I just don't think Novak is going to play a match like that any again anytime soon with the wasted opportunities. Um, so all in all, I'm really high on Novak's level. Um, again, the Medvedev is probably the worst matchup for him. The other two are really, really good. You know, with Rublev, and this is the case for Medvedev as well, Rublev with his linear baseline power, his ability to attack righty backhands, uh, his tendency to rush opponents by taking the ball early and hitting it very hard, just doesn't bother Novak and it doesn't bother Medvedev. And that's why Rublev doesn't play them well at all. Um, so, so that's a good matchup. And then Pass again, he just really takes advantage of, of of yes, the imbalance in Tzitpas' baseline game with the backhand. But also, it should be said, Djokovic also is is very successful um, attacking Tzitpas' backhand return as well. So I have Novak going two and one. Rublev, unfortunately, if you've done the match, I do have him going zero and three. He's got two terrible matchups here. Uh, Tsitsi Pasi does play well. Historically, he plays well, but I really loved what I saw from Stefanos in Paris. That doesn't always translate to the year end championships, you know, but in general, I, I do feel like Stefanos at his best just has a little bit more dynamicism than Rublev in terms of how he moves, in terms of how he plays at net. And yes, Rublev does do a good job of, uh, of attacking Stefanos' returning. He does a good job of trying to rush that backhand. He does a good job of using his backhand down the line, catching Titi Pas cheating on the, uh, you know, cheating to his left, which he tends to do. And Rublev has taken advantage of that in past matchups, uh, but I, just not quite enough. It's close, but I went with Titi Pas and Rublev, the odd man out, 0-3 here. He's good on indoor hard courts, uh, but uh, he goes 0-3 for me here. So. Uh, as you can see, I have three, two and one players. Obviously, it comes down to scoreline, who is going to dominate the most, and ultimately, I thought that uh, Tsitsipas and Djokovic would. Could this happen if if Medvedev had the head to head on Djokovic? Anyway, with with the three being head to head, I I guess I went with Tsitsipas and Djokovic in this prediction because I uh, I am more confident in them by a little bit compared to Medvedev, who just hasn't picked up enough big wins this year. He's got to prove it to me. He's been erratic, unpredictable. Yes, it's looked better recently. There's no doubt about that. You know, with Djokovic being so difficult to beat and Tsitsipas being uh, kind of playing such good tactics against him last time, I think it's tough for Medvedev here. I do. I'm picking Novak Djokovic. It goes against the trend... And I actually didn't really want to pick him because the last five years, there's been a different champion. It's been, there's been a lot of surprises at this event. I, you know, and I I just, I felt, okay, well, maybe that continues, but I have him winning it for the first time since 2015. Excited to cover this tournament. And uh, I hope you will, will join me. Um, Is there any, anything, any announcements, housekeeping Yes, there is. Uh, I will repeat this at another point, but um, I may have an opportunity for anyone who edits video and is good at social media. Uh, I may have a paid position opening up. So email me at gross at gmail.com if you would like to inquire about um, or or if you would like to, to talk to me about potentially... Um, joining my, uh, my team, which is just me. So if you'd like to become the second member of this team, um, again, tennis knowledge, which I'm sure you have, if you're watching video editing abilities and some experience on social media, those would be the requirements. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.